Minutes with Cood Street podcast, special discussions with some of our favorite friends and writers um, about what we're all doing during lockdown. And today I'm really delighted to have Liz Williams because I'm very fond of Liz's new novel. And remember earlier uh, some some classic novels when you were being published by Nightshade here in the States. Mm. Uh, and whatever happened to Nightshade, they introduced me to your work. So I'm grateful to them for that. Yeah, I'm grateful to them for getting the Chen novels out there. It, um, it, there were problems later on, but I think they did a fantastic job with the production of some of those books. Yeah, they look great. Um, yes, they really did. And the illustrations were phenomenal. Some of the best I've ever seen. So, um, so I, I remain um, extremely grateful to them for that. Oh, good. Well, uh, our usual uh, set of questions uh, that we start with everybody <laughs> is, um, what are you reading now, uh, since we're all sort of doing more reading than we were this time a year ago, I'm sure? Yeah, thank God, actually. I'm, I must say, I'm, I'm enjoying that side of it. I'm very privileged. You know, we're in a great environment here, but um, mm-hmm. and I work from home anyway, so it's really not made that much of a difference to me, except to give me some reading time, which has been fantastic. <laughs> so um, I bet uh, that's rather a selfish way of looking at a, a global pandemic, but whatever. Um, so at the moment... Um, I'm actually reading a book called Ghostland in Search for Haunted Country, which I highly recommend. Um, It's by Edward Parnell. Um, It's a British um, production. And um, basically it's it's about um, looking at what he terms the sequestered places of the British Isles, moors, um, cemeteries, shores, um, folklore and woodlands. And he's he's looking at how this um, sort of landscape impacts on people like M.R. James, Arthur Macon, Algernon Blackwood, Alan Garner, Susan Cooper um, and Graham Swift, people like that. So, um, really? it's, so. It's, it's it's a definitely a book that's made for me, really. Is that uh, Ghostland is one word or uh, one or? word? Yeah, it's called Ghostland and then In Search of a Haunted Country. And you can gotcha. find it on Amazon. Yeah, I well, highly recommend it, actually. It's, it's very idiosyncratic. It's about his personal journey, journey as a child and his personal connections in the east of the country, in East Anglia. Uh, but it's um, it's well worth a look. Actually, he goes into some interesting areas. Um, does he talk, but, just out of curiosity, does he talk about Robert Holstock in that list? I don't know that he does. I haven't got to Robert Holstock yet. Ah. Um, but Rob was a friend of mine and mm. um, was very supportive when I was starting out. And um, his death came as a as a huge shock and a blow, I think, to everybody who knew oh, him. It was horrible. Yeah, he'd, he'd become a friend. Because he came yeah. over to our ICFA thing, and the only time I had a chance to actually drive around a bit in in in, in this ghostland part of rural England was, right. was when I was visiting Rob, and uh, right. because he was the only person I ever met in London who actually owned a car. Okay. Yes. <laughs> yes, it's not common. So, but uh, uh, yeah, he's he's an interesting guy, and he um, his work very much influenced a bunch of people I know down on Dartmoor who run mm. kind of pagan, mystical, goddess-based, um, but with a very sort of quirky tinge to it. They run a property down on Dartmoor, and they, they have it, – it's like wandering around uh, Mythogo Wood because they've got these very odd sculptures really? on the property and a roundhouse, an actual sort of recreation of a, an Iron Age roundhouse because they're into <laughs> the kind of Iron Age. So it's – you know, Rob's influence has, has spread to more than um, just the literary world, and it's, it pops up in all sorts of extraordinary places. It's good to hear that he's still having that kind of repercussions. What is it? I think I think he'd be amused. Yeah, I probably would. Anything else you're reading that uh, that we should know about? 
Um, nothing you should know about, really, because I'm kind of plying my way through old detective novels from the 80s and um, and having a great time with that. It's 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 sheer comfort reading, really. And I'm reading cookbooks as well. But, of course. Yeah. Yeah, because I'm asked, cooking because I've got time. Hurrah. Well, uh, yeah, a lot of cookbooks seem to be doing well and 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 uh, and, and detective novels. I mean, it's amazing how many people uh, uh, turn to things from uh, a few years ago. I was talking to Lavi Tita, who was reading uh, Philip Carr. OK, yeah. Uh, so, but what the other question is not necessarily what you're reading, but what do you think would be helpful for people to read during a time like this? Well, I'm kind of aware that there are a lot of sort of posts of um, now you've got all this time and a lot of people like uh-huh. myself are working full time from home, but a lot of people aren't. And they've kind of been plunged into this limbo. And there is a definite sort of tinge of Corona shaming to some of this. You know, you've got to write that novel. You've got right. to learn that language. You've got to go and read um, Proust. Well, you may not want to read Proust. You might <laughs> just want to stare out of the frickin' window. And yeah. um, you may just want to read crap 1980s detective stories, which is fine by me. So I think um, when it comes to reading, whatever gets you through the day, and whatever takes you out of the world that you're in. You know, I'm in a great space right now. I'm in a lovely house with a huge amount of land attached to it. A lot mm-hmm. of people are in tower blocks in inner city London, um, washing machines going next door. They're trapped with the kids. Uh, they can't get out. Whatever gets them through the day, really. Yeah, and, and yeah, I think that's a good, that. it's, it's a good point to not, not be shamed into undertaking uh War and Peace or, or, or yeah, the entire works of Jean-Paul Sartre, or, you know, which I have read, thing, yeah. by the way. And I don't really feel like revisiting them, although my partner actually is learning Welsh. So it's actually. Well, that, that might be quite a while. <laughs> yes, I mean, my, my evenings are um, are basically filled with cries of um, Sean Ed is eating cabbages in Antarctica and um, <laughs> and shouting at Duolingo. So uh, so I'm kind of absorbing Welsh by osmosis, but God knows how helpful that's going to be. <laughs> well, this brings us to the, the third question and the one I, I always like to get to, which is what do you have that's out in the world now recently or forthcoming? Well, at the moment, I'm doing sort of back to back podcasts uh, for two things, one of which is uh-huh. Comet Weather, um, which obviously we're talking about today. Yeah. And the other of which is a, a nonfiction book. It's in fact my first published nonfiction book called Miracles Around Making, which is about um, the history of paganism in Britain. Um, from very early times right up to the contemporary day. And these two books um, came out pretty much in in the same fortnight. So I've uh-huh. got one. It's like, you know, I'm working with both hands, really. I've got left hand path of um, the nonfiction and then the right hand path of the novel the other way around. And so I'm doing a lot of promotion for both of those. Um, so that's really where I am at the moment. We were supposed to be running around London having book launches and drinking of lots course. of these things like you do. Um, but uh, that's not going to happen until the summer, you know, or whenever we're allowed to do, go and do that. But we will be doing it. So it's going to be, you know, party time as far as I'm concerned for these two books once we've finished. It, uh, without having seen uh, the history of paganism, it sounds like a lot of that informs the background of, of Comet Weather, which... Yes, they kind of um, they were written um, not quite at the same time. I took 10 years to write Comet Weather. And that's not because it's a 10 year book. It's because I had it my kind of fun project and I was doing other things. Uh-huh. And I finished it up um, like liquidly split in about um, five weeks. And that was about half the book. It was ridiculous. You know, nobody should write a book like this. It's just <laughs> stupid behavior um but anyway that's what i did and at the same time um i was writing uh, miracles of our own making so i was reading a lot about the occult and i was reading a lot of folklore but i do that anyway 
But the two books definitely um, kind of balance each other, I feel, which is quite nice. Well, I quite like that. Yeah, the the thing that I um, well as you know I'm very fond of Comet Weather and it, uh, it 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 did bring it did bring back memories of, of of Graham Joyce even though he was not an occultist in any sense but but the the, the dual the the dual challenges faced by the characters are very contemporary I mean one works as a DJ one's a fashion designer and they, yet they all have this ancient kind of uh, uh, I don't know, curse isn't the right word, but certainly ancient problem. Uh, yeah, they do. And they're going to have, I'm, I'm about um, two-thirds of the way through Blackthorn Winter, which is the sequel to it. And that sort of vibe is going to continue because at the same time, I want this to be a real sort of contemporary snapshot, although I'm not going to put coronavirus into it. No, I, I don't think there's like a limit to how contemporary I want to make it. But I do want to make it the 2020s. You know, I don't care if it dates. I think I want a sort of snapshot of our time, along with the mythological underpinnings of it. Um, And what I'm really trying to do and what um, Al Roberts, Al Robertson actually really totally got this, which was a huge uh, relief to me and a number of other people. I've got it as well. This is very much an English book, Um, Mm -hmm. not in some ghastly nationalistic type of way. But I do feel as, as a Celt, my background's Welsh and Scots. And as a Celt, I feel that in fantasy, the Celtic theme has been kind of mined um, for the moment and I may go back and do something with that in the future but I really want to set this series of hopefully four novels in the southern counties of England from the west country over to East Anglia uh-huh. and kind of have a cut off line at the Midlands because very little has been done about the folklore of um, this part of the country you know Cornwall to some extent but there's so much stuff and it's a really kind of interesting rich environment um you know glastonbury sort of been where i live actually uh-huh. it's been kind of done to death you know the grail stuff the tour all that kind of thing so glastonbury is paradoxically and rather ironically not going to feature in these books too heavily um but places mm. like cornwall and dorset and the thames estuary which is somewhere that really fascinates me in london those are going to feature quite heavily but it's it's going to be a contemporary world with these sort of underpinnings of um, of myth and magic and strangeness it sounds it sounds delightful, but I think you're right. It also sounds like something that has not been overdone, I suppose. But but a lot of people might think it has been because you've seen so many uh, magic erupting in, in in the British Isles novels. I mean, there was uh, there was a writer. This is just completely out of left field. But there was a writer back in the 20s who I think wrote a long novel called A Glastonbury Romance, John Cooper Poas. John Cooper Poas, yes, that's right. And and, and that's actually I tried to read that. It's very long. Uh, I did. I didn't finish it, but he wrote a couple of fantasy novels late in his career that sort of got at something of what you're talking about, except I think without the the the, uh, the mythical underpinning. Yeah, he was. Um, I think it's more Christian, but that's that's fine. That's also right. got a very strong mystical sensibility to it. I just can't get on with the Glastonbury romance. It's terrible. It's it's a real shame to me <laughs> um, because I've tried to read it on numerous times and we have a very good friend in town who has done an awful lot of work on Cooper Powers and he reads this book um, a bit like James Joyce on certain days of the year yeah, every year. You know, it's like a sort of a mystical act, a meditative act. And um, I just can't connect with the author. Uh, it's terrible. Exactly. You know, I just if my eye bounces off it. There's just something about it. And he's writing about place, a place that I know intimately, you know, with, with mm-hmm. um, buildings that I'm, I'm sure one of the buildings in that book I actually have, have worked in. It's been our shop for a long time. 
Um, and, you know, you go up into the Asiatic and it's medieval and all the rest of it. But I just can't get on with John Cobra Paz. Terrible shame, actually. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it, I'm, I'm glad because I, I could not finish. I kept thinking I should finish this novel because yeah. he, was, he had some influence on later fantasy writers. He wrote some fantasy and science fiction things very late in his career. I can't remember up and out or something like that. Yeah, he uh, did. He was an extraordinarily um, broad writer and and a genius probably you know it's amazing stuff um but for some reason i it and i just do not um connect so so we'll 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 add to our recommendations to our listeners to to not even try to read john cooper i don't know if he's is he still in print at all he is in print yes i see his books around a lot um and I think he's what in Britain is known as a Marmite author. You know, there's this place <laughs> called Marmite, which you either love it or you hate it. And they base their whole marketing campaign on you either love it or you hate it. And some authors are very definitely Marmite authors. And I think he's probably one of them. Mervyn Peake is another one, actually. Who yes. I should love. I just can't get on with. <laughs> well, Marmite authors is a, is, is a phrase I'm going to borrow from now on. <laughs> yes, I think. Yeah, it's like it works as long as they know what Marmite is. Right. Well, we're at the end of our 10 minutes, okay. so I, I want to say uh, thanks again to uh, to Liz Williams, whose who's Comet Weather is an absolutely wonderful novel, which I think will make us all feel better in in the circumstances we're in. Uh, well, I hope so. It's kind of written as partly as a feel-good novel, actually. I got a bit tired of angst. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks again. Our guest Thank today has been, uh, has been Liz Williams. This is Gary Wolf, and this is a 10 Minutes with Cood Street podcast. And... Stop recording. It's on.